Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truths and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Joint Action Podcast, where we have the opportunity to talk about how can braces help with osteoarthritis? Now, as most of you will know, the knee joint consists of three distinct joint compartments. The inside joint, what we call the medial tibiofemoral joint, the outside joint, or the lateral tibiofemoral joint, and behind the kneecap, or what we call the patellofemoral joint. Some people with osteoarthritis of the knee have alterations in alignment, and braces or orthoses can sometimes help with that change in alignment. These are devices that are made from lightweight materials which can alter the mechanics of the lower limb and by so doing, improve the alignment of the joint. Research has shown that using an appropriate brace around the knee in particular can improve the mechanics and by so doing, reduce pain and improve function. For one particular case study, if I have a flare of my knee osteoarthritis, I tend to use a brace during those flares to assist with reducing pain and oftentimes the swelling of the knee. And on this week's episode of the Joint Action Podcast, we're joined by an illustrious international expert, Dr. Howard Hillstrom, to discuss how braces can actually help in people that have osteoarthritis. Dr. Howard Hillstrom has a background as a biomedical engineer with over 26 years of experience in directing motion analysis laboratories. 
Howard is currently the director of the Motion Analysis Laboratory at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. He has a strong background in the biomechanics of human movement with special attention to the lower extremity and related pathologies such as osteoarthritis. Hello, Howard, and welcome to the show. Hi, David. Great to have you along, and it's such an important topic, and I think it's something that the listeners will get a lot out of. But before we get into the main content, in an effort to try to get to know you a little bit better, I just wanted to get a, an understanding of what your background is and what a typical day might look like. Sure. I'm trained as an engineer, very traditionally. Started with electrical engineering and then biomedical engineering and obtained my doctorate in that area. And I direct human movement laboratories. So, and that's pretty much what I've done since defending my doctorate. And what that means is uh, I get to go to work and play with my toys. I have a large collection of, of instrumentation and computers and cameras that let me observe how well people stand, walk, or do any purposeful movement and make measurements of exactly what the body's doing during that, those tasks. And, you know, on a, on a typical day, it sounds like you do a mixture of both clinical and research work, but what, what does a typical day look like for you? Is there a typical day? Yeah. You know, I, I write research grants, I write articles and I write abstracts and a lot of that. So that puts me in front of my computer a fair amount of time. When my kids were little, they asked, what do you do for a living dad? And I said, I'm a professional beggar because you have to get grants to do your research. Then out in the laboratory, I get the thrill to meet patients and research subjects and work with our team to capture data. And sometimes they need me to assist. Most of the time they don't. And they're more than competent. We have three physical therapists, three other scientists trained at the PhD level, a office administrator, and a kinesiologist to assist with collection and analysis of data. So all told, there's 10 of us. Wow. Sounds like a busy place to work, but I'm sure incredibly fulfilling. Now, Howard, when you're not at work, what is it that you like to do? Oh, I like uh, walking, hiking, jogging, but I would emphasize very slowly. Turtles pass me and I'm fine with that. If they pass me and laugh at me as they go by, it's fine. <laughs> oh, it's always the, uh, the slow and steady win the race though, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in, in New York, I would imagine most of the people are rushing around you, aren't they? Yeah, New York City is very vivacious, 9, 10 million people. It doesn't really sleep as the song goes. And we do have some lovely areas like Central Park, which has like a six and a half mile loop in it. And I live on Roosevelt Island, which is an island in the East River. And I look out over the United Nations and the whole East Side Bank of Allied Health Medical Facilities, starting with Rockefeller University, going all the way up to Hospital for Special Surgery including the Weill Cornell College of Medicine and Memorial Sloan Kettering and New York Presbyterian Medical Center. So it's a very active uh, area. And I'm, I'm literally, I live right in the river, basically, on this island. It's about two miles long by a third of a mile wide. And that's my view, everything I just described. Oh, sounds wonderful. Yeah. Now, Howard, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? Humble, hardworking kind and generous, naturally curious. Yeah, all wonderful qualities, both for a, a human and a researcher. And it's great to spend a little bit of time with you. Now, obviously, the main content of today is talking about 
bracing and the osteoarthritis in particular, but we'll probably also touch upon hips at least briefly. But I guess I just wanted to get your sense in the first instance is how does a brace help? You know, what's the mechanism by which it does that? So I think a great way to look at braces is that they're really mechanical devices and often patients are a little malaligned and that malalignment might be in a bow-legged capacity uh, or it might be in a knock-kneed capacity. And the brace would basically be aligned such to do the, as to do the opposite. So if you were bow-legged, which you know, is often referred to as varus, the brace would be set up to be valgus so that it would compensate for that varus uh, alignment. And although it doesn't have to make the limb perfectly straight, it usually doesn't, just by having a valgus correction or an opposing moment we refer to them as on the limb that's bow-legged, that can substantially offload the compartment of the joint that has the most pain and most damage due to the osteoarthritis. Yeah, it's a wonderful explanation. I just wonder if we can dig a little bit further into that, because obviously I think when we talk about bow-leggedness and knock-kneed, we're referring to a very static perspective. Um, But in the gait laboratory, you're also looking at more dynamic ways of ascertaining those forces around the knee. What particular forces or or moments, as you just described them, are we likely targeting primarily with bracing? That's a great question. So starting with the simplest piece of the equation would be the actual knee adduction or the movement. And that would illustrate how much of that bow-leggedness is occurring. And when you take your initial step and you load the lower extremity at heel strike, we begin to thrust into varus. And that varus thrust further reduces the joint space in the medial compartment of the knee, if you will. And that in itself is potentially damaging and painful to the patient. While that's going on, the first peak of the loading of the joint, which kind of looks like a double humped camel, and that curve we refer to as a knee adduction moment, those two peaks for the two humps of the camel get are larger in people who are bow-legged. And so that becomes an important metric, the knee adduction moment, which is basically the twisting forces in the frontal plane of the knee. And then finally, the area under the curve the knee adduction moment impulse. So literally, if you colored in the area under the knee adduction moment curve, that area would be the impulse. And that's also very important. So if you know the knee adduction angle, the knee adduction moment, knee adduction impulse, those are three of the more important variables to be concerned with. And a a treatment such as bracing will improve alignment and, and offload the joint And by doing so, we'll bring the kinematics or the adduction angle closer to normal. It'll reduce the peaks of the knee adduction moment by offloading the compartments of the joint, one or the other. And it'll also reduce the area under the knee adduction moment, the impulse. And all three of those, as an engineer, I would call that the triple crown. That would be great to have that result on all patients, you know, uh, because that would really be, you know, victory for treating the patient from a mechanical standpoint. Yeah. And I I think that's an important qualification, isn't it too, Howard? Because obviously 
from a mechanical standpoint, it's critical that there be some underlying mechanical reason as to why these braces work. But from a clinical perspective, we also want to better understand, does it actually help patients experience or whether there helps their pain, their function. So what evidence is there that these do help with pain and function? Most studies of braces, albeit not randomized controlled trials, but most studies of braces demonstrate reduced pain and function using various patient reported outcome measures like um, the Womack or Coos or Coos Jr. That's pretty traditionally found. What isn't often found has more to do with some of the mechanical variables, and they can vary from study to study. What I've learned is that there are certain errors and things that when we make measurements in a movement laboratory are not as precise as I would like. And uh, the individual who taught me that was a very special gal around 69 years old who came in with an e-tibia. The e-tibia is an electronic total knee replacement. So she had a total knee replacement like anybody else would have had a femoral and tibial component with a polyethylene tray and her pain was gone. You know, you basically chop out the joint and put in plastic and metal parts, which is analogous to waving the white flag saying, I give up, I'm retreating. Now we put in the prosthesis. And the good news is for most patients, not all, that will alleviate pain and improve function. But what's exciting about this particular lady is she was one of five individuals in the United States. And then there also were 11 in Germany in a parallel study that had these electronic total knee replacements. So they measured the contact forces in the joint and they telemetried or basically transmitted that information out to a laptop in the laboratory and allowed us to get a peek as to what the contact forces were directly on the medial and lateral aspects of the joint. When I had that opportunity, since this lovely lady was a retired physical therapist and her uh, hubby was a retired orthopedic surgeon, so they were very much interested in assisting. So she volunteered and spent two days with us and God bless her, we learned more from this one subject than thousands of patients in large epi studies. And what was exciting is you could get these direct measurements of her total knee contact force and her medial and lateral compartment contact forces. And we did this as she was, unbraced, and then we put on four different brace conditions. And we were able to see how the different braces were able to offload the joint. Now, one of the things that the patient probably has heard from their physicians is bracing for treating osteoarthritis often is described as an unloader brace. But there really was no evidence that unloader braces unloaded. You know, the thought is if you reduce the peaks of the knee adduction moment and the knee adduction moment impulse, that naturally the, the surface of the joint would be unloaded. But it wasn't ever directly verified until these e-tibia studies. And so what's exciting is when we put on the braces, we would see a 15% reduction in the medial compartment forces as directly measured, contact forces directly measured, which is even better than the estimates from doing inverse dynamics in a movement laboratory, because you're, you're really getting directly at the offending loads on the joints. So I was very excited to have that experience personally. 
and the group at the Julius Wolf Institute, led by Dr. Bergman, who's their senior investigator, did uh, an elegant study in parallel, I think on 11 people. I had one of the people from the United States cohort of five, and that was because she lived reasonably close to New York City, where our laboratory is. So a lot was learned. It's maybe not generalizable because this is not a large study. It's a, a single you know, case design type study. But I had the opportunity to look at her with and without different types of bracing, with lateral and medial wedges, with bracing and wedges, walking out-toed and in-toed, and a number of different conditions that are interesting to those of us thinking about treating patients with osteoarthritis. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity. Now, um, obviously, we're talking here about the medial tibiofemoral compartment. So that's the inside of the joint between the, the tibia and the femur. And I guess those previous studies, particularly you know the old Kirkley study, but more recent studies have demonstrated that these do have a moderate effect both on improving pain and improving function. From a practical standpoint, Howard, what are the challenges with bracing, both in terms of you know fitting, application, the type of body habitus that might uh, be better suited to, to bracing, their continued application adherence? What are the issues there that we probably should chat about? Traditionally, a lot of people felt that the very obese patient might not be a good candidate for knee bracing. I'm not sure that's completely true. And sadly, many patients with knee osteoarthritis have increased body mass or obesity. So hopefully that's not completely true. But braces sometimes loosen up and the Velcro straps um, need to be tightened up. And if the brace loosens, the center of rotation of the brace won't be near the center of rotation of the knee. It can slide down to your ankles. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, it's not going to work very well down by your ankles. So you need to slide it back up and center it around the center of the knee, snug up the Velcro straps again. And every patient who's worn a brace can appreciate what I just said. But some people are okay with that, and that's not particularly annoying to them. And other people, you know, are annoyed by it. And of course, if that happens, you know, while you're giving a presentation at work and you say, hold on, everybody, I need to tighten up my knee brace. You know, it's probably there are times where it would be annoying. But the way you could look at braces and the way you could look at limbs with osteoarthritis is that in addition to pain and function, there's a structure in the middle. And architects have long talked about this in terms of the design of buildings and bridges and roads, that structure and function are very important. Well, a lot of us in biomechanics believe that's true too. And that the structure of the lower extremity and all of the components in the diarthroidal joint are important. And that's why osteoarthritis doesn't attack just one of them. It attacks all of them. You know, not even the synovial fluid is normal in a joint with OA. There's nothing normal about any aspect, the subchondral bones, the bone marrow edema and the cartilage, the menisci, the ligaments, nothing in the joint is normal anymore. So you have these abnormal structures and we would like them to function normally. That's probably unrealistic. So the brace is trying to make the best of a bad situation, uh, making some improvement in the alignment, offloading the, the overloaded compartments. And you mentioned that besides the common medial compartment osteoarthritis from being bow-legged, you could have the opposite. You could have valgus knees that are knock-kneed. And so you look more like an hourglass when you're looking in the mirror and you have to do just the opposite 
use the brace in such a way that it opens up the distance between the knees or in, in essence, straightening the lower limbs a little bit to offload the lateral compartments of the knee. And that's all possible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to consider the lateral. It's obviously um, the outside of the knee, rather. It, it's a smaller component of those people that do have osteoarthritis in their tibiofemoral joint, but it's a, it's a really important subpopulation that we're talking about there as well. Again, just thinking a little bit more about the practicalities of doing this. I guess the general advice that most people are given is to start slowly with wearing these, to get used to and accustomed to wearing the brace, and typically to just wear that while they're being active. There's no point really from a viewpoint of the mechanics of this to think about using this uh, when they're not active. And most of the braces that at least I'm familiar with that have this functionality are pretty easily taken on and taken off and can be usually, they're pretty streamlined, can be worn under clothes. So they're, um, they're, they're generally pretty comfortable. That, those are great points. I mean, if you're sleeping, obviously you don't need your brace on. If you're yeah. watching a, a football game on TV, you don't need your brace on if you're sitting on the couch. But if you're up and moving around, that's when you're doing load-bearing activities, that's when you're likely to invoke pain and that's where the brace could help. Now, I'd assume it's the same in the US, but you know, in general, the dominant profession that tends to fit these is an orthotist or a prosthetist. Mm-hmm. Is that the same in the US? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if you're look- looking for a brace, talk to the clinician who's looking after you and try to get some advice about who might be suitable for fitting and testing of those braces. And, and more often than not, most of the companies that do this tend to provide, I think it's called a 30-day money-back guarantee. But basically, if you try it and it works and you like it, you keep it and you pay for it. But if you don't like it, you get your money back. I think that's the way it generally works. Is that the same for folks in the US, Howard? I'm not sure. That's a great point. Yeah, the orthotist would be better to answer that question. But I think that's a, that's a great idea. I'll say something to support that point. My colleague and friend, Kelly Crone, who I used to give some presentations with on this topic, and he was an orthopedic surgeon who happened to see a lot of NeoA patients um, that he wanted to treat conservatively. And so he would have a number of braces in his office. And when he was talking to a patient about they, they would be a good candidate for a brace, he would show them the braces and let them try them on. And he'd say, can you imagine yourself wearing this? Would that be acceptable to you or would that bother you? Because if you can't imagine yourself wearing one of these, and if that isn't something that you're likely to do, then right there, you know that it's probably going to be a waste of time. Whereas if it looks okay in the physician's office, then maybe you know it's worth taking the next step and getting fitted for a custom brace by the orthodist. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really, really important point because obviously if a person doesn't like the appearance of it, it's not going to end up on their leg. It's going to end up in the cupboard and it's not very useful in the cupboard. Now, we've obviously been talking a lot about the joint between the tibia and the femur, but bracing is also used for the joint between the kneecap and the femur, what we call the patellofemoral joint. How does that work? So patellofemoral pain and OA are themselves diagnoses, as you know, and that also can happen because of malalignment. And if one aspect of the patella is rubbing against the femur when you're flexing and extending the knee, that can cause uh, irritation and pathology to the cartilage matrix on the patella as well as the femur. And that can be in either direction. 
What's interesting is that means that the alignment of the femoral tibial joint and the alignment of the patella are probably interrelated. And that's, um, that's also something that's not always appreciated by maybe the average family medicine doctor or internist. And so it's, it gets complicated. If you uh, remember the paper by Alahi and Sharma, they wrote a nice study of, of individuals and pointed out how many times patellofemoral OA is either misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed. And you can have patellofemoral osteoarthritis itself and femoral tibial osteoarthritis itself. And you can have a combination of patellofemoral osteoarthritis and femoral tibial osteoarthritis. And, and that's maybe the double whammy for a poor patient. And, you know, paying close attention to the alignment and the way that the patella tracks in the condylar grooves when you're going through a knee flexion or even more so in a load-bearing squat, paying attention to that, how it moves is very important clinically. And then of course, what the femoral tibial joint is doing. So for starters with just patellofemoral osteoarthritis, a typical brace is often a soft good and it, it's referred to as a donut because it looks kind of like a donut. And it goes over the kneecap and there's Velcro attachments and you can nudge the donut a little medially or a little laterally, which would be in the favor for the patient to try to keep the patella tracking centrally within the condylar grooves of the femur. But if the femoral tibial joint itself is not in good alignment, then that's another issue which could potentially benefit from bracing of that joint. And if you remember, I said they're probably interrelated. So once upon a time, there was a company early on in the process, I believe it was Oser, that made a bicompartmental brace. And it was studied in the literature as well. And it would improve femoral tibial alignment. And it had a patellofemoral donut under alignment device uh, in the brace that improved femoral tibial alignment. So you could adjust both. I thought they were way ahead of their time, but for some reason, it's not made anymore. But I thought that was a really good idea because... It would allow you to independently or collectively address some of those alignment issues. Yeah, no, it's it's a fascinating area, and obviously, as you mentioned, many of the patellofemoral braces are, are soft neoprene braces that literally just en encompass the knee, as distinct from more often than not the unloading braces that we were talking about before for the joint between the tibia and the femur. Typically, you will have at least one stiff upright hinge that traverses the joint. For the patellofemoral joint, I mean, obviously you can get it so that it affects either the inside or the outside of the kneecap where it abuts the femur. And, you know, obviously the other components there that we often think contribute quite a bit, as you mentioned, are the alignment of the joint between the tibia and the femur, but also the extent of how much the, the femur is itself inwardly rotated. And the different braces that are out there will usually be tailored according to what the predominant deficiency or compartment is that's affected and the directionality that you want to offset here. And again, there are, there are lots of different choices that are out there, but if you go along and see your local orthotist and prosthetist, they'll hopefully also guide you in the appropriate direction. It may be inappropriate to talk about it, but it's probably worth at least covering it. My sense is that the cost of the tibiofemoral braces tends to be substantially more than the patellofemoral braces. At least in Australia, oftentimes a decent tibiofemoral brace will retail for about $800 to $1,000, whereas a patellofemoral brace might be about 100 Is that your thoughts there as well, Howard? 
Yeah, in the United States, they distinguish the uh, femoral tibial braces by over-the-counter versus custom. And custom are definitely much more expensive than over-the-counter. Over-the-counter means that it's almost as if you could go to a drugstore and buy one. But in this case, you would still get them through orthotists, but they would come in small, medium, large, and extra large. They would come in a size and you would get what, the size that best matched you. And it wouldn't necessarily be custom for you. There are some people that, you know, it's almost analogous to going to the clothier and buying a suit or, or buying uh, a dress. That, that There are some people that work very well off the rack and they can walk into a store and they can buy something and it fits lovely. That may or may not be the case for knee racing. So you have to, again, try it and see. And, you know, you, you may require something that's custom. And, you know, there are patients that have bilateral knee osteoarthritis. So both knees may be in some form of malalignment and they may have different malalignments. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And, you know, I think the reason for at least mentioning the cost here is that a lot of insurance companies don't necessarily reimburse reimburse for these. And so it ends up being out of pocket for many people. But coming back to what you were saying there before about the off-the-shelf brace, because, you know, I know a lot of people come in with the just a simple neoprene sleeve that they bought from their the local pharmacy or chemist. Is there any good data to suggest that they provide a benefit? Just thinking back to some of the old studies around the benefit of, of just wearing a sleeve and, and how that might itself work. Yes. I mean, there was a small randomized control trial, I believe it was Kirkley's et al. study, where they compared uh, neoprene sleeve to um, knee bracing. And if my memory serves me right, there were some some significant differences in pain and function. And there were also some similarities. So one thought is, you know, maybe the sleeve did offer some therapeutic benefit, but the magnitude of reduction of pain and improvement in function was greater for the brace than the sleeve. And so if you think about it in terms of the structure and function analogy I gave before, the sleeve doesn't really have a exoskeletal structure to it that would allow it to apply a valgus adjustment to a varus knee or a varus adjustment to a valgus knee. It's just a sleeve. It's, it's like a glorified sock. So you could get maybe some proprioception and some warmth. You know, there may be some benefits to it, but it's, it's not going to put on an opposing moment to your malalignment. Yeah. All right. Now we've spoken a lot about knees in recent times there has been a vogue towards trying to do bracing for hips as well. Have you seen any of that occurring? And I guess what clinical circumstances have you seen that applied? Absolutely. There's now a new literature in hip bracing. And let me just say one more thing about knee bracing from a sports perspective, injury to um, one or more ligaments has led to the development of a whole slew of ligament braces. So there's other kinds of braces for the knee that athletes might wear because they don't want to re-injure a ligament, especially when the statistics talk about there being a 50% chance that they're going to go on and develop osteoarthritis. So there's some relationship, but the brace has a totally different goal, which is to provide stability. And the reason I bring that up is at the hip, there's both the need for stabilization when post-total hip replacement is a delicate healing process. And you need to make sure that the head of the femur and the prosthetic joint in, and in the acetabulum are in good position and that you're not subluxing the joint in any way. For that reason, 
we tend to have our patients post total hip replacement sit in higher chairs and they're called hip chairs <laughs> because the total hip patients don't have to bend as low in a squat and therefore put the head of the femur at risk for sub subluxing or dislocating. And there's a whole process of post-op healing, you know, and protocol that's developed for managing those patients. And there are braces to help them because in some cases they have recurring problems with subluxation or dislocation. The other side of the coin though, is that you also can have overloaded hip joints and you may need to offload or unload the hip joint, just like we need to unload the knee. And so there are hip unloader braces as well. And Oser, one of the companies that we work with at the knee, makes a hip unloader brace now. And I've noticed several others make braces now to assist in overloading the hip, as well as improving the stability of the hip. And those are the two main applications. And post-op bracing, of course, is, is trying to enhance stability. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Before we get into the rapid fire round, Howard, are there any other comments that you'd like to make either about bracing or pointing people towards resources online that you think may be helpful to provide any further information about the topic? Well, we often joke around here about Docker Google, meaning that, you know, everybody's an expert now, not just your physician. Uh, everybody can go online and type in whatever they want in Google and get some information. That's not a bad thing. Being an informed consumer is a good thing. And doing a little legwork and, and searching for ideas, uh, you know, to help you with your knee pain and or hip pain or ankle pain, it's good that the, the consumer is informed and has questions that, with their physician and doesn't have to take everything on faith. They might want to know why, why might this brace be useful or this foot orthosis or should I be thinking about hyaluronic acid or, you know, some type of, uh, let's call it oil that we squirt in the tin man's knee from the Wizard of Oz or any of, of a number of other therapies. There are probably 50 odd therapies that have been tried in treating osteoarthritis. They don't, don't all have the same effectiveness and some might work better on some patients and some might, might work better on other patients. And it's hard for you as an individual to know where you stand. So being informed is a good thing. And my advice to patients is don't ever be embarrassed. Take it on. Don't take anything on faith. Ask your doctor questions and don't think it's a bad thing to go and consult with Dr. Google. It's fine. <laughs> you know, learn whatever you can. The more you know, the better. Great advice. Great advice. Because, you know, and I think an educated, empowered consumer often leads to better outcomes for, for their general health as well. So how we might dip into the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to throw questions at you and you just come back with a, a rapid response, but favorite book. So I must admit I'm a nerd and I, I tend to read technical literature related to my research. And so one of my favorite books is Basic Biomechanics of the Musculoskeletal System by Norman Frankel. It is not a novel. <laughs> it's not something most normal people would want to read, but it's wonderful to me. Whatever tickles your fancy, Howard, but favorite, favorite movie. All of the Fast and the Furious movies, all of the James Bond movies. I love all the action junkie type movies that have mindless plots, but, you know, explore some of the high tech aspects of life. And, and um, I, I personally, as an engineer, get a big kick out of that. Superb. Now, a dog or a cat person? I'm allergic to both. I love animals, but if they have dander, I can't breathe. So I try to keep my distance from them. Fair enough. Favorite quote? The quote I like to use a lot. There's two of them. One is the autobiography of uh, Steve Jobs, and that's called The Journey is the Reward. 
And I like to use that because I think it's not what you get at the end of the rainbow. It's the whole journey going and pursuing it, what we learn in our science and so forth. And then I like to also borrow one from the U.S. Army, which is it's not a job, it's an adventure. <laughs> and, I, and I say that to everybody I hire. Human resources probably doesn't like me saying this, but it, it's, it's not a job, it's an adventure. If you're going to come work in my laboratory, just be warned. It's totally an adventure. And in that way, everybody understands where we're coming from. Sounds like a lot of fun. And hopefully HR doesn't visit you too regularly. But um, what's, what's your favorite food? Well, as a carnivore, I'd have to say steak. And as a sweet tooth, I would say ice cream. So I try not to buy too much of either because I know they're not great to eat in mass quantities. Do you have a bad habit? Nothing like excessive smoking or drinking or any of that type of usual bad habits. I would probably say probably um, eating too much would be a bad habit. Where would you next like to go on holiday? I enjoy places on the beach and I enjoy places in the woods hiking. So from the beach perspective, pretty much every country in the Caribbean and somewhere I've never been before and I'd love to see is, is like Bora Bora or the French Polynesia. No, it looks spectacular. And if you could have a superpower, what would it be? X-ray vision. Yeah, fantastic. If you could meet anyone dead or alive, who would that be? I'd have to say there's several people I'd like to meet. On the scientific side, Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, most of what we do in engineering is based on the discovery of gravity and the three laws. From a artistic side, I would say Escher. And from a musician side, Jimi Hendrix. Wow. Very diverse. Now, what would you do if money were not an issue? I would never write another grant again. I would fund all my science and, and get down to business and not waste time with grants. Yeah, no, great, great, great answer. Why do you do what you do? What motivates you? I think I mentioned this in the beginning of the podcast that I come to work and I play with my toys. So I really enjoy it. You know, a lot of people wonder, you know, why did you go in this direction? Why did you become a lawyer? Or why did you become a physician or a scientist? And I can recall my late parents telling me a story that, you know, I can barely remember. But when I was five, I didn't want a red wagon to pull around. That wasn't what I enjoyed. I wanted my mom's vacuum cleaner. And I would grab the hose and I would pull that everywhere. That was my pull toy. And I would disassemble it and reassemble it. And then she would go and turn it on and blow the dirt in the drapes because I reversed the polarity of it. And I got a big kick out of that. So everyone knew at a young age that I was going to be a scientist or an engineer or something. You must have driven her crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic story. Yeah. And how would... Is there one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people out there who have osteoarthritis? Don't give up and keep moving. We used to think in the 70s and 80s that the most important metric for health was blood pressure. And not to say that it's not an important metric. Certainly it's an important metric. But I would say today in the 2000s, 2010s and 20s, it's movement. If you can move, then nobody can put a tag on your toe. And if you can move... You're able to build your muscle mass. You're able to build your aerobic capacity. You know, you're able to reduce body mass, you know, through exercise and keep your strength of your muscles and the integrity of your bones. So I would say move. Great advice and a really, really positive way to finish. Howard, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us. I know your time is precious and your insights were really, really valuable and great to see you after such a long period of time. Same. Take care, David. 
thank you so much for the time spent listening today. And particularly for those of you that are thinking about the application of a brace, I really hope that the content of today was helpful. There are braces for lots of different indications, both around the knee, the hip, and interestingly also the hand. And I guess the most important information I wanna to give to you here is try a brace. If it helps, great. If it doesn't help, consider going back and having it rechecked to see whether that's the most appropriate brace for you. As mentioned, there are lots of indications here lots of different types of alignments and compartments that are trying to be corrected by the application of a brace. And it's most appropriate that it be fitted properly, that it be tested, that you have an opportunity to trial it. Because ultimately, if it's not going to suit you, there's no point buying it. The best opportunity here to use a brace is for someone who wants to go out and do an activity that they're otherwise not able to tolerate because of pain. And a brace may enable you to get out and do that activity. They don't reduce pain at rest. It's usually an activity related pain that they're trying to relieve. So again, hoping that you found the content of today helpful. Really look forward to talking to you again in the near future. And in the meantime, please do take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.